Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's that? Uh, taxi driver? Ah, yeah, cool. And, uh, shower head, big knife. Is that psycho? Okay. Dancing lady. Are, are those wolves? Dances with wolves? They kind of look more like foxes. Or, or a hedgehog. Okay, what's this? Uh, a radio, another wolf slash fox, and lots of people. Radio Fox Group, Radio Wolf Bunch, Radio Wolfgang, Radio Wolfgang emoji title, I love it, smiley love heart eyes, winky kiss. Hello, this is Radio with it, yeah, we're back on air, it goes down, but we don't care, we're mobile now, we're everywhere, yeah, Radio with it, back on air. Are you associated with any of the art? Yes. Uh, have you achieved eminence in some field other than television? Yes. Are you a performer? Yes. Would you be considered a leading man? Yes. There's nothing this man doesn't do. a self-confessed genius with an ingenious flair for publicity. His trademarks are a brilliantined mustache, his wild unpredictability, and of course his surrealistic paintings. He's also designed fur-lined bathtubs. He's lectured with his head and posed in a diving helmet. He is the greatest artist technically in the world today. And he claims that at the basis of his ideas are cauliflowers and rhinoceros. Please welcome Salvador Dali. <laughs> It is a little known fact that Salvador Dali, artist and inventor of the lobster telephone and designer of the May West Phipps sofa, also published a cookbook. It's called Ladina de Gala, Gala being Dali's much loved wife. It's a super book because it's just bursting with contradictions, because it's both disgusting and delicious, both old-fashioned and futuristic. And for some, it's a prized work of art, while for others, just commercial taps and the tail end of a great artist's career. The cookbook was published in 1973, at which point Dali was 50 years into an astonishingly versatile and prolific career firmly established as one of the great artists of the 20th century. To those who raise eyebrows or look down their noses at him, Salvador Dali bristles his remarkable moustache with equal disdain. From his iconic paintings of melting clocks in the 1930s 
Dali had moved into film, sculpture, fashion and photography. He'd done everything and worked with everyone, from Louis Bunuel, Alfred Hitchcock to Walt Disney. The idea of a Dali cookbook may at first seem surprising, but looking back on his life, maybe the clues were always there. He'd been a key surrealist until he was kicked out of the movement back in the 30s. They didn't approve of his pursuit of money and fame. But the strange and unsettling themes of surrealism were still at the heart of his work. Perhaps I should just point out that the world of Salvador Dali, the imagination world of Dali, is not a cosy place. You may find some of his notions offensive, some of his nightmares deeply disturbing. Surrealism is the spirit of the dream coupled with reality. The surrealists were preoccupied with dreams, the subconscious, the physical and the irrational. They wanted to provoke confusion and disgust in their audience. One way to do this was to present food in bizarre or repellent ways. So you get René Magritte's portraits with the face obscured by an apple or Merritt Oppenheim's fur teacup. Is it earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions. At the start of his career, Dali was painting intricate still lives of fruit and bread, but as he became more surreal... He says, I do not understand why when I ask for a grilled lobster in a restaurant, I'm never served a cooked telephone. He started presenting food in a much more subversive way. The fascination with food had been there right from his earliest years, as art historian Professor Elliot King points out. So Dali says very famously at the beginning of his autobiography that when he was six, he wanted to be Napoleon, then he wanted to be a cook, and then finally as an adult, he wanted to be Salvador Dali. He talks about food, he writes about food quite a bit, actually. Uh, he said that the jaws were the most philosophical organs and that many of his ideas actually came through the mouth first. When he does many of his paintings, they include lots of different kinds of food. Boiled beans, langoustines, lobsters, oysters. So, so food was always a really big interest for Dali. He was a gourmet. He enjoyed good food. But because he had some serious health problems, the doctor decided to put him on a diet. Amanda Lear met Dali while she was still a student and became his muse and confidant. She would later become famous in her own right as a model, a painter and a pop star. Perhaps some of you might remember the disco music. I sold about 20 million records of disco music. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Dali was not allowed to eat too much, but he was eating a little bit of everything. There was a speciality that he, he loved offering to his guests when he was entertaining people in Cadaqués. Lobster with uh, chocolate. Now, everybody was surprised when they saw mixture of, of salty lobster with the sweet chocolate. He loves things that were a bit strange because he liked to surprise his guests. Mr. Salvador Dali gives a party. The Spanish painter of surrealism dresses Mrs. Dali in a unicorn's head just to start things off. A puzzled guest, Bob Hope, sees the fish course served in satin slippers. Presumably, the fish is sole. Soldier Jackie Coogan and the still baffled Mr. Hope see the main course. The party is surrealism, but them frogs is real. 
He'd been hosting surreal dinners and making art about food for years, but actually coming out with a cookbook still wasn't exactly an obvious next step for Darley. Felicity Belay, Darley's publisher and agent in New York, remembers how the project got started. It was such a far-out original idea for its time. You know how these things happen. Dolly and his entourage and everyone always ate in all these restaurants. And one day you just say, hey, that would be a great idea to do a book with recipes. Dolly did um, 12 original paintings for the book. That was one for each of the chapters on the various foods. And he added little drawings and sketches here and there. He also had different pieces of his work where food was involved, which were taken and sections of them cut up and used for the book. New work, old work, mixed up work, and it was lots of fun. As you might expect from such an idiosyncratic figure, this was to be no ordinary cookbook. Darley's opening words make it clear we're in for something rather unusual. There's a wonderful statement at the beginning of the book, a mission statement for, for Darley. It says, we would like to state clearly that beginning with the very first recipes of the dinner de gala, with its precepts and its illustrations, is uniquely devoted to the pleasures of taste. Don't look for dietic formulas here. We intend to ignore those charts and tables in which chemistry takes the place of gastronomy. That's Sam Bompas of London-based duo Bompas and Parr, who are famous for their own spectacular and outrageous culinary creations. If you're a disciple of those calorie counters who turn the joys of eating into a form of punishment, close this book at once. It is too lively, too aggressive, and far too impertinent for you. Unlike other cookbooks, Dali's is neither very practical nor appetizing. In fact, the recipes and his illustrations that accompany them could be best described as stomach-turning. Darley's chapter titles include keywords such as maggots, sodomy, and cannibalism. Just to open a page at random, grilled salmon billets on toast in the shape of clothes pegs, and affixed to the top of each, a small snail. Underneath it, a porcelain toad, warty toad. Inside it looks like cheese souffle, on top of which are two probably locusts pinned with two cocktail sticks, such that the pair of them are impaled on top of your dinner. Like a lot of the work he produced towards the end of his life, it's unclear how much Dali was involved in the actual making of the cookbook. The book says it was conceived and created by Dali himself, but I, I don't think he did a lot of cooking, actually. Uh, as much as he enjoyed food, I don't think the cookbook was such a priority for him. Dali couldn't do anything practically. He couldn't make a phone call, he didn't drive a car, he could hardly sign a check, uh, let alone cooking. No, no, he was totally incapable. Setting his inexperience in the kitchen aside, Dali produced a really quite extraordinary object. It's a very elaborate, almost a candy box style of book. They don't make books like this anymore, unfortunately. It's a pretty bold cookbook writer in a realm of good taste that decides to have 
a gold and black cover. As you open it up, you can see it's, it's, it's kind of a sort of montage of a mixture between uh, Dali's painting, some quite nude and imaginative recipes and collages. The actual recipes came from some of the top restaurants in Paris at the time. Tour d'Argent, Maxime's, restaurants that Dali used to actually go to. They're very, very high cuisine and frankly very complicated to make. They're interspersed with Dali's illustrations, many of which have culinary subjects. Some of them are collages of towers of langoustine, meats that have been laid across surrealist landscapes, uh, roasted birds, but the birds still have their feathers on them. All of these things that might come out of storybooks or something or dinner parties from Louis XIV. A five-star restaurant today wouldn't serve this because, honestly, people just don't eat this way anymore. That may be true, but Dali's influence can be seen in the work of many young chefs today, including that of Bompas and Pa. I think if you can see any parallels between our food and Dali's, it's a sense of spectacle. The meal will start off as one of good food, of, of food that is uh, considered, it's in the classical tradition. Um, but as the meal goes on, it becomes a little more unhinged. <laughs> Salvador Dali's cookbook has influenced us probably visually more than any other book in existence. It really sort of fits in with uh, Bombs Apart, our studio philosophy, which is the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. So you've got to remember that at the time this is coming out, Nouvelle Cuisine was just finding its first uh, space um, across, you know, in other restaurants across Paris. But this is, this is very much the old guard. There's a decadence with these images, there's a decadence with these recipes. They're all crammed full of sugar, fat and salt. It's not dark food whatsoever. And what's even more alarming is in almost every picture, there's more food than anyone could humanly eat by themselves. It's, it's, it's incredibly wasteful. But if, then again, this is not your everyday meal. No everyday meal, that's for sure. But for all its strangeness, the book is actually less out there than you might expect from a surrealist. If I were to imagine what a Dali cookbook might be, I might think of something more like the Futurist cookbook. The Italian Futurist made a cookbook that included things like onion ice cream, aerodynamic foods, and all of these really strange, unusual pairings of things that were meant to be more art than food. The recipes in Dine de Gala are sometimes talked about as being surrealist recipes, and they're all very hard to make, but they're not particularly strange for the most part. They're, they're doable recipes. I would make things out of Dine de Gala, whereas whenever I've tried to make anything out of the Futurist cookbook, it's absolutely awful. While brave souls might dare to follow these bizarre recipes, the publishers themselves would not advise it. It wasn't really meant to be, please take this in your kitchen and cook. It was an art book about food and Dali and the surrealistic connection. And at one point, we felt that we should have put a line in the book that read, we're not responsible from any deaths resulting from these recipes because they weren't kitchen tested. Reliable kitchen manual, art book, or cynical money spinner. The cookbook defies categorization, just like its contrary creator. Now let's try to find out some more about the enigma of Salvador Dali. 
Well, I worked with Dolly for many years, so Dolly is Dolly. He, he certainly was different. He loved going to parties and premiere and shows and entertaining journalists, being on television. It was a bit of a show-off. Dolly is the maximum personality of exhibitionism. In the world. In the world. Give a bit of mm to me. When I first met Dolly, uh, it was in Paris. One evening after the fashion shows, Paco Rabani introduced me to Salvador Dali. He said, oh, she's Amanda, she's one of my models. And I said to Dali, of course, trying to, to look better than just uh, the average model, I said, but you know, I also paint. He said, no, 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 forget it. Woman, I have no talent. Painting is a, is a man thing. There has never been a, a famous woman painter. It's so confusing. So I was really uh, a bit angry, <laughs> and I decided I shall never see him again because I was not uh, very happy about his uh, macho attitude. And the next day he telephoned me and he said, come with your friend for lunch. Now my friend was Brian Jones. And I said, well, all right, but Brian obviously did not wake up. And so I, I went alone for lunch with Dali. All by himself, just the two of us, I discovered the most charming man, absolutely adorable, cultivated, full of anecdotes, full of stories, uh, full of humor, very funny. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Every day was a surprise, every day was entertaining. There were some crazy things, like the day Yoko Ono tried to buy a hair of his moustache. She paid, I don't know, $5,000 or something like that to buy a hair of Dali's moustache. Uh, all the time he would entertain the, the Beatles or Rolling Stones or uh, Rostropovich or uh, Onassis. I mean, it's amazing that the people who would come to see Dali. At this point, Dali was living as a full-time international superstar. Staying in all the world's most luxurious hotels, eating in all the finest restaurants. One of the quotations that I quite like from Dina Tagala is that one can choose not to eat, but can't tolerate eating poorly. And I think that Dali always made sure that he ate very well. Uh, it was a very expensive lifestyle, and I've heard stories of him going to a restaurant and signing the tablecloth and just walking out. By the time you get to the 1960s and 1970s, I don't know if it's true or not, he was certainly famous enough that it was worth more to keep a check signed by Dali than to actually cash it. Dali was unapologetic about wanting to make money and enjoy an extravagant lifestyle. It has to be said at the expense of his status as a serious artist. He was doing very commercial things before it was in vogue to do so. He had a very bad reputation amongst art critics as a sellout, certainly by the 1960s and 70s. He had been seen as taking on illustrations or print design commissions basically just to make money. And really, he was making gobs of money doing this. Salvador Dali, myself, is very rich. And Dali loves tremendously money and gold. They may have been frowned upon by the art world establishment, but projects like the cookbook did allow Dali to produce his own artwork without ever having to worry about money. He was a very slow painter, so he was painting only one great big painting every year. 
The rest of the time, all these illustrations were done very quickly. Illustrating that book, for instance, was, was just pretty difficult, obviously, because it was a good contract, you know, to pay the rent. People think that painters have to be very uh, poor and very depressed to create. This is a very romantic idea of a, of a creation. You know, you think of all, all those poets like Baudelaire, you know, or painters like Van Gogh without any money, painting by candlelight because it cuts the electricity. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Dali enjoyed life and uh, he lived in great hotel, in great luxury, he was making a lot of money. People criticized him for this. Uh, like they made an anagram of his name, uh, Salvador Dali became Avida Dollars. But you know, Andy Warhol was the same. He was making lots of money. Nowadays, Jeff Koons and all the painters, it is right uh, when they are recognized that they make a lot of money. It may not have been much use in the kitchen, but Ladina de Gala was nevertheless a huge success. Everybody loved the book, and we got so, so much publicity on it. And it was sold in the most unconventional ways of selling a book. I had given it to the owners of different restaurants. They showed it to people, and all of a sudden it was on television. It was written up in the newspapers and magazines. It just sold itself because it was just something that people were fascinated with. We published only 25,000 books. And now it's, it's very rare. You really can't find them easily. And people still talk about the Dolly Cookbook. Chefs today are inspired by it. You know, they're not going to do that specific recipe. The presentation is what it inspires them. Why do people write cookbooks? Why do people read cookbooks and buy them? Certainly most people don't cook very much out of any of the cookbooks that go on their shelves. And the reason I would write cookbooks is more to inspire people than to lecture them in the correct way to do something. I think of any cookbook I've had, this has been the most inspiring. So I think from that point of view, it's really, really successful. I wouldn't necessarily go and cook the recipes, but I'd flip through this and go like, right, this is it. Let's go make something that has that level of impact when it comes to the table. In another classical Dali contradiction, while some elements of the book are clearly outdated, in other ways, it seems very far ahead of its time. Some of the recipes wouldn't seem out of place on a Heston Blumenthal menu. Cooking means applying heat to food in all the digit state. I've thought about Dali's recipes in terms of some of the more experimental culinary things that have happened in the last few years. In practically all forms of cookery, there must be a cooking medium, a means whereby the heat is conveyed to the food. Like molecular gastronomy, chefs like Fran Adria trying to use chemicals to bring more science into food. In boiling and simmering, the medium is water, or steam of course. I think Dali would have loved that. He was very interested in all types of new sciences. In the 1950s, he embraced nuclear physics. One new kind of uh, atomic and nuclear mysticism. In the 70s, he embraced holograms. Anything that was new and scientific, he immediately wanted to incorporate into his work. And, and I can imagine that the idea of freezing particles of food or making mists out of food, combining them with other tastes, I think he would have found that absolutely fascinating. Around the time the book came out, 
Dali was one of the most recognisable of living artists. However, the glory days were coming to an end and Dali faced a lot of difficulties in his final years. The end was very sad. Dali had Parkinson's disease, so he was shaking. You know, Parkinson is a terrible trauma for a painter because he couldn't hold a brush anymore, he couldn't do nothing. He was all by himself, uh, surrounded by a nasty businessman who was uh, dealing with his name, uh, sign here, sign here, we're going to make a shoelace, we're going to make perfume, we're going to make a lipstick with Dali's name. So I thought all this was very embarrassing and uh, very bad. Tell me this, uh, what do you think will happen to you when you die? Myself no believe in my death. You will not die? No, no believe in general in the death, but in the death of Dali, absolutely not. And it's true. Dali today is very much alive. He remains an inspiration to artists and chefs alike. I never met anyone like him before and, uh, or after. So it's a period of my life which I cherish because uh, it's full of happy memories. So every day was just magic. Salvador may never have actually cooked a meal from the book, nor expected anyone else to, but Le Dinner de Gala is a perfect legacy for him. Every page of it tells of an artist who enjoyed the good life, success, money, and of course, fine dining, and dared to disgust as well as delight. Superbooks was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang, authored by myself, David Owen, and featuring Professor Elliot King, Amanda Lear, Felicity Belay, and Sam Bompas. Executive produced by Ellie DiMartino and Harry Watson. Produced and edited by Olivia Humphreys. Assistant produced by Claire Crofton. And sound designed by Ivor Manley. Thanks to all our contributors.